The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome to a brand new podcast. I'm Phil, and this, I almost forgot to introduce my co-host. <laughs> and I've got Adam Martin with me. Hello. Hello. We are going to be going through every episode of Red Dwarf uh, mm-hmm. in this brand new podcast. They're all dead, Dave. They're all dead, Dave. <laughs> They're all, all dead, Dave. They're dead. <laughs> They're all dead, Dave. <laughs> That's the name of the podcast. It's, uh, it's a review <laughs> podcast. We're going to be going through every episode of Red Dwarf in order. Um, And I am someone who has watched from a young age Red Dwarf. I remember watching it in the 90s. Uh, I am that old. The Uh, distant past. The the distant past. Ah, the 90s. We were listening to a 90s uh, playlist on... um, on on one of the smart speakers earlier on and uh, all mm. those floods of nostalgic memory oh yes um, but adam you have you yeah. had never seen red dwarf had you I, I had never seen red dwarf i'll preface i had heard of red dwarf and i'd seen you know shots of some of the characters and maybe a few very short clips in documentaries and such but i have never before now sat down and watched a full episode of red dwarf and it was that revelation on your youtube channel on your mm-hmm. Sunday catch-up show that made me go, I've been meaning to re-watch Red Dwarf. Adam has never watched it. Let's make a podcast where someone who has been a fan for it for, of it for like 30 years talks to somebody uh, and reviews it with somebody that has never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And thus, this podcast was born. Yeah, and I can finally earn my, my nerd card after this. <laughs> I must admit, I, I was like... really... I was generally surprised that you hadn't seen it because you, you, as, as anybody that watches your YouTube channel will know... You're um, a, a sci-fi fan. You like things like mm. Doctor Who. Oh, yes. You're a big fan of sort of British nostalgic TV. I am, generally, yes. Uh, BBC in particular. Uh, mm. And therefore, you know, BBC, it just seems like one of those iconic classic BBC shows that is a sci-fi. So I was really, really surprised. No judgment, but just no. surprised <laughs> that you hadn't seen it. I'm sure some people out there are judging me quite hard, but it's a, it's a weird one because, again, for, I was born in 1996, and I think when, even at, say, the early stages, I could have maybe stumbled on Red Dwarf, I don't know, maybe, say, be seven or eight, I think, was the show still going on then, in, like, oh, early 2000s? It's had so or? many breaks of, like, mm. several years in between seasons yeah. that it's hard to... Because I, I think 1997 was when they they, they had... I think 1996, if I'm remembering correctly, 1997 might have been where it came back for two series, four series, seven and eight. Okay. And then it had a really long break of like a decade after that. Mm. And then I can't remember when we got back to Earth, but it might have been a little bit after that. So I must admit that is the one thing I did know about Red Dwarf because it was either in part of me thinks it used to get sort of weirdly cross-promoted in Doctor Who magazine or, you know, in, in various sci-fi publications. I remember every like few years I keep seeing, oh, it's Red Dwarf like 10 or 11 or 12. And I was like, I don't know what this show is, but it seems to keep coming back every... But that, as I said, I remember that bit that it came back every so often. I was like, oh, well, people must really like this show. But it was only when you suggested uh, 
like doing this, you know, I looked into it. I was like, what? It started in, you know, 1988 or whatever it was. And it's, you know, it's, it's a lot bigger than I think I ever realized it was. Yeah. It's just been going so long. Um, if you want to, if anybody at home wants to watch along with us, um, before listening to our review every week, the first eight seasons or series, uh, I am going American now. The first eight (laughs) series are available on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Then I believe back to earth, which is a unique sort of special mini series thing is only available on DVD. I haven't found it on a streaming service. And then okay. the the series 10, 11 and 12 are available on Dave on a mm. streaming in the UK. I don't know about the US, I'm afraid if we've got any US <sighs> listeners out there. How apt is it that the channel it's on now is called Dave? I know. I've just, reali- I've just realized it's just clicked in my head. So <laughs> yeah so this first episode is called the end the one Mm. that introduces us to all of our main characters for now there are additional main characters that get introduced in later seasons but our main characters for now get introduced in this episode uh what what were your thoughts on the just so no actually before this Mm. i Mm. forgot to ask you one question what was your overriding i mean you said you were aware of red dwarf what was your overriding sort of impression of it before we before you watched i I think from what i'd either seen or like heard about it it was my perception was it's this really campy but intentionally campy sort of sci-fi comedy show um i just thought you know they're they're playing it for laughs it's not i guess again to compare like to doctor who where you can laugh at it but that's not always the intention i just sort of thought this is going to be a very sort of not over the top but a bit more heightened you know sci-fi than I'm probably used to, but not in a bad way. I think I was just more curious as to how they were gonna, how they were gonna play it. Because I was trying to delve into what I know about, you know, making TV sci-fi at that time. And obviously, the late '80s, those in charge of the BBC weren't partic- whether privately or publicly, weren't particularly kind to sci-fi. I mean, you know, you had Michael Grade, who Doctor Who fans will know at that time detested um, Doctor Who in particular, but science, you know, science fiction. A lot of the higher ups just thought it wasn't a good spend of the, you know, taxpayers' money. So I think going into this one, knowing it was in that era, I thought how, you know, what's this going to look like, pretty much. And then watching it for the first time this week, what mm. did you think of the first episode? What are your general thoughts? Do you know, I, again, with that context in mind of, you know, how the, the people in the BBC weren't really keen on sci-fi, I thought this came off as really impressive. I mean, the opening shot or the title sequence, if you like, is, you know, the panning shot of the red dwarf ship and as it's going i was like one it made me think a lot of trial of a time lord from doctor who that opening shot i think it was like the same colors and all that but i was also like wow like they this is very impressive for the time they clearly spent a lot of money on this you know it's a very very competent bit of model work there and then that, yeah that model work mm. i mean the model work throughout the whole show is really good um but especially mm. on that red dwarf model it's just so detailed and and you get the panning shots across it and everything it's it's really impressive work for you know the time and everything yeah. and technical and limitations I think, it, I think it holds up as well especially that opening shot you know i mean if you if you squint really hard you can tell it's a model like going against a backdrop but if you just sat there watching it i'd argue it's just as you know it's just as memorable as anything we get today in in tv sci-fi and I thought that about all the sets on the Red Dwarf as well. You know, again, for the time, I was like, these look really competent, really well thought out, really well designed. And I thought, well, why didn't 
again, like, you know, other sci-fi shows in the BBC, like Doctor Who, looked like this at the time in terms of set design. But then I thought, well, it's easier for them because at the minute, anyway, from what I've seen, the only place they are in is the Red Dwarf. You know, Doctor Who goes here, there, and everywhere. They've got to stretch that budget, whereas here they could probably concentrate that money into being like, right, let's spend a lot on the model. Let's spend a lot on, like, the bridge and the, the crew quarters and the cafeteria, you know, really funnel it. And I just... When that sort of clicked in my head, I was like, they've done this really well. It really feels like a ship that's been lived in. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, they've got a lot of more, they get a lot more money out of standing sets because they get Mm. to reuse them again and again over, you know, potentially multiple years. Whereas something like Doctor Who has the one standing set and that is the interior of the TARDIS and everything else has to be completely new every week. So, yeah, that's going to be a bit more of a strain on on your budgets, isn't it? Although I think, you know, Doctor Who has a bit of a bad reputation for that. But, you know, I think it varies so much on episode to episode with Doctor Who. Some episodes have really good sets Mm. um, Mm. and then other times it looks like a cardboard, you know, (laughs) it will fall over easily. Um, but at least the, but at least because most of these are standing sets that will be used again and again. I can't remember now if they ever go off the ship in series one. They do eventually start doing it, but it might yeah, not be yeah. till possibly might not be till series two. It's been a while since I've watched these early ones. So I think that's I think that's what I'm curious about as well, because uh, I mean, from what I've seen so far, as you say, they are just on the Red Dwarf ship and. I just sort of think if it is for the whole season, I'm down for it. But I'm curious to see how they keep that, I guess, fresh and interesting. Because, you know, if you just say to someone, oh, here's eight episodes and they're just on a ship the whole time. You know, initially you think, oh, well, how can that be interesting? Yeah. From what I've seen so far, I'm I'm, I'm confident that it's going to be interesting. Because, I mean, at, at the start of this one, you've got a lot of the crew. And I'll diverge a minute. You know, in the cafeteria scene, um, when they're doing the... the co- uh, Dave's doing the coin thing. Oh yes, on his yes. Head. Um, the guy who he gets to do it and sort of take the mick out of, is that Mark Williams? Um, Mar- like oh. Arthur Weasley. Arthur Weasley. Yes, it is. It's Arthur it Weasley. It is. Yeah, because yes. I saw him and I was like, I know that face. I was yeah. like a really young blonde Arthur Williams. So yeah. I was like, oh, that's nice. It is. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. There's a few faces that you know pop up in this show that you that you see and you go, hold on, they they became a lot better known for this so other thing later on um it's quite nice like that well i mean for me the big one was craig charles i think i'd sort of because you know for me i grew up with craig charles as like you know robot wars and things like that of course yes Um, and i think i always i guess whatever i saw him in i always just saw him as like you know a host or an announcer i never knew he'd he, he was an actor by trade so as soon as his face popped up, I was like, okay, okay, Craig Charles, I like it. And I mean, it's so nice to watch a bit of BBC 80s TV and hear a different accent that's not RP or like, yes. you know, standard English. As soon as he's, he's unabashedly with that lovely, smooth Scouse accent. And I was like, I'm here. I think I'll watch that show home for that just to hear his voice because... <laughs> And, you know, I think people don't take, you know, when you watch a lot of that TV, it is that, oh, yes, um, we're going to talk like this and i guess uh, rimmer is the you know the catalyst for that he is very much that you know very uptight we're going to speak properly here on on this ship and i like how lister's the sort of foil to that in every single way you know he's a slob but he also he's not ashamed to speak how he does and all that sort of stuff but uh it's yeah, yeah because i mean i've seen a few episodes of all creatures great and small the original which oh, yeah. of course you know is all about yorkshire vets Yet everyone seems to speak like this, and I'm like, in perfect oh, RP. Okay. 
Yeah, and it's like, okay. And I know, like, the old BBC adage was, oh, well, standard English RP is, like, the most, you know, people can understand it more. It's debatably the most accessible accent. I disagree, but that was the thing at the time. So, yeah, I like the range as well. Like, you know, you had the American captain and you had the, uh, I can't remember her name, but, you know, the the woman in the bridge that Lister's trying to chat up. Uh, Yeah, Kachansky. Kachansky, was that Scottish? Am I getting my accent? Well, Scottish? she sounds, yeah, she sounds a little bit Scottish to me. I don't know if, yeah. um, the, Celtic that's an, twang. that's <laughs> an interesting one because she comes back in later on, but played mm. by, in many seasons later, but played by a different actress and she loses the Scottish. Ah. So, but here I think she's meant to be Scottish. Um, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I was going to say that, you know, the American captain, they have a nice, uh, and the and you get the cat introduced later on in this episode as well, who again yeah. has a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive style of speaking as well. So there's a whole range of different sort of vocal differences in this episode that make it really interesting to listen to. I must admit, though, when the cat first appeared for like the first two minutes, I was very confused as to like what, you know, this guy was supposed to be. Because, you know, he comes out doing all this like, wow, and like walking around. And I was like, is this... Is this like a Prince Michael Jackson caricature? <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's like that sort yeah, of quick energy and the spins. Been, and... I think that might have yeah. been part of the intention to make that like, yeah, a lot of it is about his vanity and stuff. But I think, that, you know, a lot of it probably did come from, I think Prince, I have, uh, this is not based on anything knowledge. I don't, I haven't seen it in an interview that they've said this, but it does seem very Prince-like, doesn't it? And yeah. It, that could absolutely was, be the inspiration. I think it was more the way like they'd made up his hair and like the suit and everything. But as soon as he popped out and obviously when he said he was like a descendant of a cat, it made more sense. But like for that first minute before he meets uh, Dave and Rimmer, I was like, I was like, what is this character supposed to be? Not in a bad way. I was just a bit confused because as you, you know, he comes out of the vent from absolutely nowhere. There's no prelude to it. And all of a sudden you're introduced to this guy who's going like and like walking around and spinning and going like oh i look so good and i'm like i love it but like who are you so going back to the sort of very beginning of the episode i thought yeah. that the um that very first scene where rimmer and uh, uh and lister are walking down the corridor doing their job fixing the vending machines or whatever they're fixing uh the food distribution things um i thought that was a really good scene for sort of establishing the dynamic between the two it tells you everything you need to know about both characters in that one scene and their relationship to each other which is going to you know be the bedrock of the show going forward absolutely i mean i did wonder like as as we said the opening shot of each episode is like you know the the shot of the ship and I thought, oh, maybe they're going to do like, you know, a big crew thing to start with. And then then they'll focus on the individual characters. But no, you're right. I agree to start with those two and instantly establish who they are, what they sort of stand for, where their differences are, but where they kind of get along. They're sort of, you know, you could say they're like an old married couple, like they bicker all the time. But, you know, if like push came to shove, they they try and have each other's backs if they were pushed to it. But no, I liked it. I, 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 I mean, both actors did a great job of solidifying what those characters are because I think when you break it down, just from my standpoint, I thought those characters could have very easily been uh, like maybe stereotyped or, you know, over overacted, if you like. You know, the traits of them are very easy, I think, to fall into that. But I think they did a good job of... They lent into it just enough but not to the point where it got a bit ridiculous, you know. Uh, what would you say uh, 
is your what else did you like about the episode? What was your what were your highlights of the episode? Uh, I mean, Holly, the the computer is yes. just. I think that's my favorite character of the show so far. I just love the whole. Uh, I mean, the deadpan approach. You know, I mean, we've all seen examples of deadpan comedy and how brilliant it can be. And you know, just seeing that face sort of not move and just go, yeah, I'm gonna say an insult now. You know, it's like it it does work wonderfully because. I think that was one of my uh, one of my criticisms of the show so far. Or I can save that till later if you like. But um, no, no, no. Hey, we're just chatting. Give, do it organically. Just, just just give I it thought, to us now. What, what? I thought some of the humor, and I, I should have noted down a specific joke, but there were little moments which I thought came across to me as a the humor wise maybe a bit too uh, like too juvenile. But again, that hmm. could be because I'm an adult watching this for the first time. If I was like nine, I probably would have like lent into it all the way. But like, I just thought there was a contrast because like you have characters like Holly who deliver jokes, you know, that maybe a bit darker and a bit more on the nose. And then, and then there were just some bits with uh, Dave and Rimmer where, you know, they're just, it's, it's like just name calling, but it doesn't really feel like there's a payoff. Or well, that was just what I thought anyway. Not that, yeah. not that the whole episode was bad on the comedy front. I think there was just specific bits where, you know, I'm watching it like this, you know, watching it and they tell the joke and I, it didn't really prompt a reaction. But again, yep. that could just be I'm watching it as an adult with a very <laughs> cynical brain. <laughs> so, mm. I mean, what did you think about like the the humor aspect? You know, for you rewatching it? Yeah, uh, this episode. Uh, yeah, I really liked it. Holly definitely uh, is is is, and I find Holly one of the best characters in the whole series in these early years because that that whole deadpan approach it just works so well. Um, and I forgot, I, what, I should have looked up the actor's name. I know his name is Norman, but I can't remember his last yeah, name. Yeah, it's Norman something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, he just does such a fantastic job in this role. Um, so always good. In terms of my favorite character in this episode, though, I was tempted to say Holly, but yeah. only because Holly is in it so little in, I mean, absolutely he shines in this episode in the bits, mm. small bits he is in, but he's in it quite a small amount mm. so i think if i was picking a favorite character out of this episode specifically i would probably say rimmer because yeah. i just think some of it chris barry is great at just doing all sorts of voices and uh and i just think he's he's got his comic timing is is brilliant in this and some of the Absolutely. stuff he comes out with um in this episode particularly as well is just really really good Especially when he's uh, sort of mocking Dave as well, so yeah. that that was definitely my favourite um, character of it. If I had to pick, sort of a funniest moment mm. of the whole episode, uh, I had a couple written down. One of which made me laugh out loud, and then I was like, because talking about the humour, I really like the humour, but some of mm. I was slightly worried going in rewatching this that I would find. Some of it a little bit dated in, yeah. in the sense that oh, is it, it might make us cringe a little bit now in the world of 2020 when we're all much more enlightened. Mm. Um, and there was one line in there that uh, Rimmer's line was uh, when he was talking about being dead and he was like, I'll never get to uh, do so many things again. And one of them was uh, interfere with a woman sexually. <laughs> and yeah, by itself, that <laughs> is a little bit thing but then what i really liked was just I, I what made me laugh out loud was uh lister's reply which was rimmer you didn't do any of those things anyway yeah, yeah and that made me laugh out loud so yeah. 
I'm kind of conflicted about that line, but it was, mm. but uh, Lister's line was definitely, come back on that was definitely one of my favorites. Oh yeah. yes. The other one was, um, uh, the, when, when the Dave gets pulled up to the captain and confronted about yes. his cat. Yeah. And one of my favorite lines was not only are you so stupid that you bring an unquarantined cat onto the ship and endanger everyone, you also took photos with it and had them developed in the ship's <laughs> photo lab. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the fact he still denies it. He's like, no, yeah. it wasn't me, sir. Like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and of course, there, there's the They're All Dead Dave line, which is... That was uh, one of mine, yeah. A whole sequence, which kind of feels like both that it goes on too long, but also it needed to go on that long. It went on sort of just the right amount of time to be funny. Yeah, it... it that is one of my contenders for funniest moment as well. And it was weird because that was one thing you told me about before we, we, we did the show, I guess, just as like a preamble. And when he when he said it, you know, the first time I was like, oh, that was what Philip was going on about. And I think I forgot that you'd mentioned, you know, it goes on. So I was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of funny. And then he just keeps going, they're all dead. Everyone's dead, Dave. They're all... And I just feel the smile on my face getting bigger and I'm starting to laugh. But I think, again, it's down to that that thing of Holly just being so deadpan yet you can hear the irritation in his voice as well the more he's saying it, it's like they're all dead dave like they're all dead absolutely i don't think it would have worked with another person delivering that line mm. i think the other one for me was a uh, i can't remember this specific crew member but when he does come out of stasis and he sees the like pile of ash on the control panel he's like oh what's this and he just goes that's crew member and you know he says what it is because that was so unexpected, I just burst out laughing. Because again, it's the timing, it's the delivery, it just it and Craig Charles's response to it. It was that's the thing about that though is that he. What struck me about that was that he makes a comment about it being really dirty around here while he's licking it, like he thinks it's dirt and yeah. or dust, and he's licking it. He doesn't think yeah. it's food. He's talking about it being dirty, and it's then only when he finds out that it's human remains uh, <laughs> that he gets a bit disgusted about it that kind of epitomizes how slobbish and disgusting you yeah. know dave is meant to be um that's actually but then something... what heightened it what heightened it for me was then as he's talking to Holly, he just brushes it off the control panel so he's gone oh it's a it's a human i can't touch it yeah it's just let's just let's just move that along <laughs> again it just made me laugh because it's like you've just you've just been disgusted at this human remains. And now you're like, yeah, just get it off. Like, get it off the table. <laughs> what I like about Lister already is sort of how quick his character beats change. But they don't feel like... I think it helps because this is a comedy. If it was a drama, you know, when characters beats or, like, actions change willy-nilly, it annoys us because it's like, no, no, no. You, you're trying to sell us on, like, one thing and now you've swapped to another without any build up whereas with a comedy i think you can get away with that because that's partly why it's funny yeah and at the minute i love that about lister how one minute you know oh it's a human i can't touch it and then he's just like yeah just get that off the desk you know it's i like that sort of quick quick change about it and i think craig charles so far from what i've seen has been so on point with his delivery even with the jokes i said that i felt were a bit maybe too juvenile for me now the timing was still like on point you know you could tell he knew what he was doing one thing about a lister that is interesting is that it's it's a very British thing, I think, that the main character, the character that we, you know, root for in the show is a complete slob, is a complete, <laughs> like, disgusting human being in many ways. And that, that you know, that that wouldn't happen on American television. Uh, no, they would, no. And, and as proof of that, 
they actually did a they actually piloted a, an American remake of Red Dwarf. Oh no! And see, even even from having watched one episode, I'm already like it. It yeah, go yeah. On. And just... as as Dave Lister, they cast this sort of like hunky, chiselled, jawed <sighs> man. Uh, you know, had a kind of hand solo look to him. You know, swagger. So you know, a bit a bit rough around the edges, but mm. not. Was it still not, a comedy? It was still a comedy. Yeah, it was a sitcom. It was, um, and it, it it didn't get past the pilot stage. And I think, <laughs> it, if I remember correctly, I used to own the DVDs of Red Dwarf, but I stupidly got rid of them many years ago. Oh, clear flip. out. Um, <laughs> I know. And I think the whole pilot is one of the extras on one of those DVDs. So I may have to track it down. And if I can mm. find it, maybe at some point in the future of this podcast, we'll have to do a special just reviewing that. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> that could be amusing. Uh, yeah. That could definitely be amusing. Uh, uh, just thinking about the rest of the episode and what other positives we might have, I made noted mm. down a few things. I, Because this episode, it's a good three, two-thirds of the way through before the disaster happens. Um, yeah, yeah. And, of course, any, uh, I'm assuming you've watched it if you're listening to this podcast. But, <laughs> of course, Dave gets... Uh, because of his cat situation of having an unauthorized cat aboard gets subject and he won't give it up and tell it, tell the captain where it is. He gets put into suspended animation for the rest of their journey, which was meant to be 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead during those 18 months, the whole crew dies of a radiation leak and mm-hmm. Lister ends up staying in that suspended animation for 3 million years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he yeah. sort of uh, emerges doing that. But what I like, but that didn't happen till a good way through the episode. We got, and I liked that because it gave us a lot of setup of the dynamics of how the ship worked before that, which I think gives us a better understanding of the characters, which we're now going to follow going yeah. through the rest of the series. Hmm. No, I I like that in a way because again, from what I'd known about Red Dwarf, when you see like the promo images, I knew like you know it, it centered maybe around three or four central characters, and so you know as you say from the first scene, I know two of them are Dave and Rimmer because you know it it set it tells you so in the first scene, but you know as you say for the first two thirds, you've got the rest of the crew as well, so I'm thinking oh cool, I'm gonna see a fun comedy about this crew and like what all their escapades, what they get up to, and then you're right, I was like oh. They're all, they are all dead, Dave. They are all dead, Dave. And uh, I think once that set in after that initial comedy of, you know, Holly and that, I think I was like, oh, right. It is literally just uh, Lister and Rimmer the hologram and this cat. And, you know, at the end of the episode, it's them three saying, oh, we're going to go back to Earth. I was like, oh, right. I was like, okay, it is just going to be these three. Yeah. And I was like, uh, well, four at first if you I was include like, Holly. Four if you include Holly. And at first I was like, ooh, I was like, because, you know, it's, it's a jump, isn't it, from the first two thirds. I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But then I was like, no, but I mean, this is the opportunity for it to try and sell it to me. You know, how can you make this comedy show work with three characters on one ship? Yeah. So, yeah. They did I also during this whole section before the event happened, before the radiation leak happened. I thought mm. they did a really good of good job of uh, sort of setting stuff up, which they then paid off in that final section. And it was a various things like just setting up the stuff with the cat, just, you know, dropping in little lines about the cat. At the time, you don't think it's massively relevant beyond the fact that Lister's hiding this cat and he's going to get in trouble for it. But actually, Mm. uh, like the thing about Fiji and stuff that plays into the cat's religion later on in the episode, uh, the cat society religion, 
and how his name has been confused uh, and and they worship someone called Cloister because it's Lister, but then over the generations yeah. of the cats, it's all been twisted. Mm-hmm. That kind of set up and payoff. There was also, because we see a hologram get brought back to life in mm-hmm. an earlier scene in the episode. And it's this uh, Welsh guy that's been brought back. And it that sort of establishes in that scene, they did a lot of clever exposition, which established the rules of... Holly can only sustain one hologram at a time, mm. which explains why we don't get more than just Rimmer returning as holograms later on. So that kind of sort of set up and pay off there was good as well. And Holly yeah. as, uh, himself as well. He uh, he wasn't in it much before the incident, but yeah. the few scenes where you did hear his voice, it was uh, a very serious computer you know, mm. computer voice, you know, doing issuing instructions and, and stuff over the tannoys and things. And mm. then it's only like afterwards when you see him afterwards and he kind of is acting a bit goofy a little bit. And he mentions that, oh, yeah, you know, three million years by yourself is bound to drive someone a little crazy. And yeah, you realize that actually he's he's this way because of that time. Yeah, that he's actually got a personality beyond just being the ship's computer that has to be logical and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, and it, it's a good subversion. And just going back a bit, I know you talked about the cat's religion. That made me laugh, but I think not, maybe not for the reason the producers intended, I don't know. But the way I took it, I mean, disclaimer, I'm, I'm a raging atheist. Uh, I've got nothing against religion. If you, you, religion, you know, whatever it is, cool, fine by me. But it's just, it's not for me. And the how I interpreted it was, it was sort of taking a playful jab at how certain religions can be formed, you know, say like a mishearing of names, this idea of like a saviour, I just took it as that, it was like this sort of jab at like, this is ridiculous, but then that's how, you know, some, some people argue, say like, you know, with the, the Mormon stuff, like the Book of Mormon, that is taking a jab at how, oh, a guy found a book that was given to him by God. And now there's this whole, you know, some people would argue that's ridiculous. But then the religion, it's one of the strongest religions out there. So that's how I sort of interpreted that whole story of the cat religion. I was like, this, I was laughing because I was like, oh, they're taking it. They're just taking a jab at the whole thing. Yeah. And even mm. what, you know, uh, 20, 30 years later, that plot line was still mm. being used as a as part of the story in the very latest episode that came out this year uh last year now i suppose (laughs) yeah there was a there was a one-off special that came out last year and Mm. that the the cat religion was the focus of that episode so it's really nice how they and i'm i'm sure it's more of a case of they mentioned you know they put stuff like that in the plot earlier on with no plans but then Later on, they go, oh, we could reference back to that. But I really like how the show does that. And it really honors its own history. But obviously, you won't know that yet. But Not yet. <laughs> I'm looking it. forward to it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Was there anything? I mean, you've already touched on on one thing you didn't like. There wasn't much mm. I didn't like about this. Like I said, some of the humor, very little of it, in fact, felt dated. Yeah. And I was really pleased yeah. about that. There was just like that one or two moments. Um, The only other, the only, literally the only other negative i had about this episode was well there's two one was that i thought visually other than the model shots Mm. it's a little bit dull visually because it's all grays and browns and just sort of color palette of the show you get the lovely bright red of the ship but then Mm. inside 
it's all very and i know that's because it's meant to be a sort of militaristic sort of um you know uh, bureaucratic boring. yeah because it's a it's a mining ship right yeah the red dwarf yeah yeah, yeah. But later seasons, they bring in more color, and it and it starts to pop a little bit more. And I think that's that that's better. Yeah, I think it shows sort of that. I mean, as I said near the start, like the sets themselves, like the way they're designed, are brilliant, and you know they they hold up really well. But yeah, that sort of gray thing for space. When you think it sort of reeks of that late eighties uh, British sci-fi. Oh, we're in space. Everything's got to be like stainless steel or you know like greys and you know yeah, things like which can that work it's sort of under like under movie budget sort of things yeah. where you can light it to look like actual metal um yeah. and <laughs> you know and it can be but... the 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 sort of interest can come from the lighting but with tv mm. especially of that era everything was pretty much just blanketly lit so that you could see what was going on and there was i don't think there was you know too much thought about mood lighting and things like that so yeah, I think, for, again, from what I've read of that time, that was a lot of directors and, you know, creatives critiques of TV at that time that everything was overlit, yeah. you know, in, in, in a lot of shows, not just uh, not just sci-fi. But I think, yeah, there were only one or two scenes, I think, when they're walking through corridors. And this sounds really odd, but it's the sound like their boots make that that scream that scream out to me. They're walking on a set. And, oh, okay. uh, like the, the only way I can compare it, because I watched it recently um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the last uh, second Doctor Who story, The War Games, which went out in 1969, you, you see Gallifrey for the first time, the Time Lords. But that trial room set, when they walk into it, they go down these steps and it's clonk, clonk, clonk. And you just think, <laughs> oh, my God. And, and it's fair to say they had no money at that point in the show. They had no money. It was 10 episodes. They had ran out. But do you know what I mean? It's moments like that. If I can hear your boots clonking and for anyone who's been on a set, you know what it sounds like. If you hear the I'll call it the studio set clonk, then it just very briefly takes me out of it. because I'm going, ah, OK, you know studio set because i mean if, if you stop to think about red dwarf it is all studio set of course it is but yeah. that wasn't my prevailing thought when watching it because of the characters were good the story was engaging you're not thinking about that i think it was only in those quiet moments if it is just you know walking down a corridor where there's not much else to sort of grab you when i hear those boots and i'm like ah but again that's that's a that's a minor nitpick on my card yeah and the other thing was I, i'm not sure if i count this as a negative because i understand why they did it but the cat who we who we we know is you know going to be a main character in the show he's one of the four main characters in the show who we will follow is mm. only in the last five minutes of the episode yes and i get why because they had because it because it gave space to do all the stuff to establish Rimmer and uh, Dave as well, um, Dave Lister as well, and their dynamic. And I, they are kind of the main focus, especially of these early seasons. So I understand why. I just would have liked a little bit more of the cat introduced a little bit earlier, I think. Yeah, I agree with you there. Like I said, you know, the first minute he's on screen before he bumps into the other two, I was so confused. And maybe that was the intention for, to make people think like, whoa, what, what's this? What's going on? But yeah, maybe if they did like, you know, in the stasis period, if you like, you know, the three million years, maybe if they'd done some sort of, not like a whole exposition thing, but maybe just a weird, like physical thing with the cat to show more, like more of that cat likeness before he enters the ship. Because as I said, for me, at least when he first comes in, you know, and he's standing up and moving around, it just came across as being like more flamboyant human than it did. Yeah. Like feline. And 
for, I mean, in the next episode, if you want to keep listening, we will talk more about the cat. But again, from seeing the second one, um, I got more of like, you know, the feline aspect, like the cat aspect. Whereas in this episode, I just got more really flamboyant human than I did uh, cat human sort of thing. Cool. Well, I, I think that's everything I had. Did you have any other, other notes you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, oddly enough, the, the, the credit song, um, because <laughs> I mean, the music, you know, there, there wasn't that much music throughout. I mean, not that there isn't a lot of comedies cause you need, you know, the laugh track and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, to start with the start, it was very, you know, again, BBC of the time that the same synthesizer they had in the cupboard, you know, and it sounded great. Don't get me wrong. If anything, it made it seem that opening shot, like a gritty drama. Cause the, the opening theme or rendition is quite like low key it's quite tense it's, all it's like, quite yeah it's quite like foreboding as this big ship is going by so yeah when i i mean i knew it was a comedy but if yeah if i didn't know it was that i might be thinking oh is this like a space drama or something and then the credit scene it's so 80s it's so, you know the production of it because again i thought are they gonna use the same synth thing are they gonna do like a futuristic piece but no, they get like a really eight. Because what is it? Is it fun in the sun? The song? Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. It's a cold outside, shipwrecked yeah. and comatose, drinking fresh mango juice, yeah. goldfish glow, nipping <laughs> at the toes. I might be getting some of the words wrong here. I mean, fun, I, I'm not, I fun, mean, I, fun in the sun. sun that's fun. the one. I mean, like I've got nothing against eighties pop. I love eighties pop, but I think it just surprised me. You know, because obviously being made in 1988 there was no real call to that apart from like the nitpicks we had you know like sets or whatever but then that just blares in at the end i was like oh it's the 80s you know (laughs) i love it though it's so catchy it's brilliant it is bizarrely i mean if you listen to the lyrics i don't they have nothing to do with the show (laughs) oh absolutely i think that's what weirded me out i was like this has nothing to do with the show they just picked a really upbeat poppy 80s song and was like yeah that'll do yeah but yeah apart from that yeah um my, I mean, my overall thoughts on the end, if you like, which very cleverly added the beginning at the end. I saw that little yep. title come up. I was like, I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, for someone who's never seen it before, it's a great first episode for introducing you to uh, the two leads, primarily Lister and Rimmer. Um, this sort of world that they live in, the different sort of classes that exist on the Red Dwarf ship, you know, how they're just seen as sort of lowly technicians, the sort of common traits they have how how rimmer always wants to like do well and be proper and buy the book and lister just sort of doesn't really care like he's just there for a bit of laugh a bit of banter you know no i thought as as first episodes go it did it did what it needed to do and it did it well yeah it was a good setup for um for the premise of the show and i think a lot of a lot of shows of this era certainly my memory of them is that the setup for the premise of the show usually was like 10 minutes and then you were into a standard episode for a show whereas this actually takes the time and does a whole episode where the first 20 minutes are with a whole cast that you're not going to get for the rest of the series and actually takes the time to properly set up the premise which i think was rare from back then um Mm. at least from my memory of it I, i usually like the setup would be something that could be condensed into a quick pre-credit sequence uh, nowadays it's surprising for a comedy as well because as you say a lot of comedies when they start like yeah you have the establishing thing but like you say they want to zip along and get to like the comedy aspect so it was i think that was drawing from the more dramatic sci-fi element you know sort of saying we need the time 
of sci-fi shows to build, but we also want to be funny at the same yeah. time. And I think it straddled the two really well. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's our thoughts on it. How, uh, I I didn't broach this with you beforehand. Do you want to give it a rating, like, or do you not like doing ratings? Because um, it's not something I've it's not something it. I've usually done. But I'm down to give it a go if you want to. I'm yeah, well, go on. Yeah, then. Let's, let's do Let's it. give it a go. What should what, what should we rate it out of? Um, uh, out of <laughs> like five Daves out of five. <laughs> five five Daves out of five. Five five Scuttlebugs. Out of Scuttlebugs, the, yeah. Scuttlebugs, the little robot things. It was uh, nice to see them because I'd, I'd seen them in my uh, one of the shows I do on my channel is about idents, and I did a whole episode, funnily enough, on red dwarf idents, which is probably where I got a lot of the vague pre-knowledge I had. You know, I knew when it started and the four leads. But yeah, you know, I don't think I actually called... Oh, no, I did call it by its name because I had to look it up. But, you know, I had no idea what it was so it was nice to actually yeah. see it i was like oh it's that thing you know yeah it's that for yeah. that i didn't yeah i'd rate it uh so the first episode the end i'd rate it 4.5 scuttlebugs out of five i think because as i said it it does exactly what it needs to do well for the most part in my opinion it's very funny um it it looks very impressive for a late 80s bbc sci-fi show at a time when sci-fi was loathed by the corporation and uh yeah i can't it left me wanting more which is the job of any good show. Yeah, I completely agree. Four point five. I think I would give it to. Um, I was I was going to give it four, but let's do point fives because uh, yeah. I think this deserves it. There was hardly anything wrong with it at all, um, and I really enjoyed it. And like you say, it's a good setup, and it sounds like it has intrigued you enough. I mean, we've already agreed. To, you've already agreed to do the podcast now, so you're stuck watching them anyway. But uh, at least <laughs> it sounds like I'm you're going to enjoy in. it. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean. Let's put it this way. When it ended and, you know, that little thing came up saying the beginning, not only did that make me smile, but I was like, okay, I was like, I'm in now. I want to see where this goes. If the characterization hadn't been there, if the comedy hadn't worked with me, I might have been like, oh, this will be a bit of a slog. But no, I'm genuinely very excited to continue on this this Red Dwarf journey. Excellent. And if you at home are keen to continue it with us, we will be here for the covering the whole of the series gradually. Yeah, um, every episode, in possibly even the American remake, if we, uh, <laughs> if we can track it down. The uh, cursed American remake. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm not entirely sure where this is going out yet. It's definitely going to go out on my YouTube channel. Um, mm -hmm. I may also try and find a way of putting it out on Spotify and other uh, call, tube platforms as well. Look, where can they find you on the internet? Where we'll Plug your stuff. So for me, if you want to find me in my stupidly tall hair that needs a haircut, um, you can find me on YouTube. Just type in Adam Martin. That's Martin with a Y because A, I'm half Welsh and I'm proud of it. And uh, just because in any walk of life that I've had to use that, it always gets spelt wrong. And I can't cast in directors out there. Shame on you. You talk about sending in your CV, being all correct. And yet, if you give me a job, you're like, yeah, can we have Adam Martin with an I? Mm -mm, you read my CV. You know how it's spelt. So I'm getting on a rant there. But yeah, Adam Martin with a Y. And you'll find me on YouTube. I'm also on Twitter at Adam Martin Actor. I post a lot about stuff going on on my channel, a lot of Doctor Who stuff, because that's what I'm into as well. And I'll be tweeting about this podcast when we get it up and running. So yeah, that's the best place to find me. And if you uh, are listening to this, if I have managed to get it onto another platform other than my YouTube channel, then you can find my YouTube channel. Again, it's just my name, Philip Hawkins, uh, Philip with one L. Uh, that's that's <laughs> the one I always get. It's like, oh, some people spell it with two L's. 
No, yeah. it's one L. They'll never understand, Philip. They'll never understand. <laughs> so, so yeah, do uh, do check us, uh, do check Adam out at his YouTube channel. He does some great shows over there, including the aforementioned Ident reviews, um, mm-hmm. which have been a lot, a lot of fun, and uh, some a lot of Doctor Who content coming mm-hmm. very soon. Uh, thanks for watching, uh, watching, listening, whatever you're doing, and we will be here for the next episode soon. See you then. See you later.